right, folks, we're back with another episode of Skirmish Supremacy, and today we are joined by Chris from RPG Crate. Chris, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. It's been yeah. a hot, very hot day. The weather's uh, rather warm here today. Yeah, it's been pretty sweltering down here in the Atlanta area, too. And as usual, we are joined by my co-host, Nick, who's over there doing some random stuff. Nick, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, and I got the Outlaw kit from... Uh... From Northstar for Frostgrave, so I was I was looking at that. All right, already too much talking. Already too much talking. No, but on a serious note, <laughs> Chris is on today to talk about his uh, company RPG Crate, and uh, we're gonna grill him on some questions. We're gonna ask him some things that are make him feel completely uncomfortable, and then we're just gonna send him on his merry way. So, <laughs> Chris, how, how about you tell us a little bit about uh, what made you want to start RPG Crate, and uh, tell us a little bit about it as well. Yeah, um, so it's kind of a long story. Um, it actually starts, I guess, back in uh, late 1990. Um, I graduated from high school in 1990 and was involved in gaming uh, ever since then. I was 13 when I bought my first uh uh, D&D box set, it was the red box set, and I was completely hooked on role-playing. Um, and ever since then, I've been gaming, <clears throat> and in late 1990, right after Amazon started, I started a company mm -hmm. called Lost Tones and started selling books online, kind of through eBay and some other outlets. And Amazon wasn't real popular back then. It just got started. It had sort of a slow start, actually. But Bezos got it up and running in late 90s during the dot-com boom. And I, at that point, I realized, you know, the whole world of gaming and books and online and all of that, I think, was going to change a great deal. And I wanted to be involved in a little more in technology. So I've worked with a couple of technology companies, um, software development, uh, training, business analysis, and things like that. And I really just gamed hobbyists on and off throughout the years. Had a couple of friends that had a store, had a real good buddy that had uh, had a Magic the Gathering store pretty much when that started off with uh, Beta and Revised. Um, he retired from the railroad and started a, started a store. And I just sort of went in and out of the whole idea of starting a business or continuing to work, and I never really put things together until... About two years ago, I was uh, watching somebody's play, and the games that they had in front of them, it was sort of mixed. It was like Dungeons & Dragons and some things from uh, some of the, the older Judges Guild and some Dungeon Magazines, and it was sort of this eclectic group of, of games. And... I realized there, there really wasn't a way for a person who hadn't gamed for years and years and years to get exposure to our industry like that. There wasn't really a way for a person to, to see how, you know, how prolific and how awesome some of those old things were, how it worked with some of the new games, and it was sort of just a light bulb. It's like, you know, subscription services have been around for a long time, Sock of the Month Club is, you know, something that's that was done a long time ago. And there really wasn't one that I was aware of that was into role-play games. So I did a little bit of research. I found out there was a dude um, that had created one a little while back. Uh, Myth Horde is a pretty good one. And then just this last year, there's another group of guys that have created one that was uh, a Dungeon Crate. And I don't have a problem mentioning their names at all. I know we're we're slightly competitors, but the you know the the space is still pretty wide open for that matter the competition is always pretty good um but it just occurred to me that so there wasn't one that offered all of the role play stuff the uh, written content art uh dice and old school and new school there wasn't one that kind of pulled it together um so that's that's what I wanted to do I decided okay I had the license I had the um, access to the vendors, I had access to you know the business and things like that that I had been playing around with for years and decided to go full-time with it. Cool, okay, so give us a little bit of an example. What what companies or what vendors have you been working with in order to get this started? Oh, uh, that's a really good question. So I, 
I wanted to give you a little bit of history. I, at first, was thinking when I first, you know, concepted this, that I could use my existing distributor agreements with some of the regular gaming distributors and create sort of a package, create a box of stuff, and then, you know, get subscribers and send it out. And I, it, at first, that seemed like it would be okay, but when I started talking to people, it occurred to me that people want a little more than just what they can go to their gaming store and purchase or what they can go online and buy. They want something that's a little more interesting or unusual. And a lot of gamers, I've learned, are really into community and building games within their community and supporting small businesses. So although I had contacts with some of the bigger distributors and things from my other business, uh, I really didn't have the contacts that I needed with some of the smaller indie um, independent developers and artists that were really good, but maybe were not prolific in the industry yet. So that's kind of what I've been focusing on. I want the crate to be sort of a half and half, uh, old school, new school. It's going to have independent uh, developers in it, and it's going to have some of the new stuff that um, is or maybe early release or something that's um, related to new. My primary objective is to not make a crate that's just a whole bunch of stuff you could go buy yourself. Um, I want it to introduce new things to people, stuff that they may not have considered otherwise. And it's got to have a component that integrates within their existing game today. So that's kind of the direction we went. So to, I guess a uh, long, long answer. Um, so there's a lot of vendors that I've got currently, about a dozen um, uh, artists and uh, developers are involved in Crate 1. Okay. Do you have any examples of those? Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't have to go into the details, yeah. but, no, uh, you know, just no, give me a little bit of a taste. Don't mind at all. Um, so you guys know Ben Jarvis. Yes, we do. Yeah, you guys did an interview with him. So I talked with Ben, and we uh, worked out a deal where one of his products that he creates is uh, called Etchmaster. It's a really thin sheet of brass uh, photo. I'm not real keen on the technology, how it's created, but let me just tell you, it's really, really slick. It's a very thin sheet of brass that's uh, basically printed, and you cut the little pieces out, and you can embellish uh, your miniatures with it. It adds like a knife, a shield, a sword, uh, a, a plate, a uh, set of knives and forks for a miniature set and things like that. Um, so Ben and I hooked up, and uh, he's created a sheet for RPG Crate. It's exclusive. There's no other um, companies currently that are going to have that sheet, and... Uh, That'll be one of the products that are included. Okay, cool. So who else do you have involved with it? Yeah, so we've got um, Wormwood Quality Gaming Supplies. Have you guys heard of them? Yes, I have. I've actually looked at quite a bit of their stuff. It's actually pretty amazing. Yeah, it's incredibly amazing. Their stuff is fantastic. Um I've uh, worked a deal with them, and I've got some of the dice vaults, the little uh, boxes that you put your dice set in. It's got uh, these really super powerful magnets that hold it closed. It's got um, some foam on the inside, and they're expert crafted. Um, that's an item that you can purchase at a discount on the, on the, the uh, website. And I'm going to offer an incentive. I'm going to offer those as prizes to people. Um, I have... Uh, master crafted um, a lottery item that I'm going to be giving away. Uh, retail value of that is over three, almost three hundred dollars. It's over two hundred dollars uh, retail for that. So that's going to be something that we uh, we give away. I've worked with uh, several artists for this crate for the first one. Um, and let me pull up my list here. I don't want to miss any names because this stuff's important. Um, Lloyd Metcalf is one of the artists that I'm working with. Uh, Joseph Garcia, Janelle Jaquez, Richard Sardinha. Those guys are going to be contributing um, art to it, and I've commissioned to work with them to create uh, a product that's going to be included. Um, there's some exclusive uh, written content that will only be in RPG Crate. Uh, one of the adventure settings is called uh, Tales from the Bloody Bucket. It's like a tavern, an old-style um, a Tudor-style architecture tavern, and it's a brawling tavern. If your adventuring party goes there, they're, they're guaranteed to, to witness or be involved in a fight. And uh, each month, RPG Crate will feature adventure settings that are placed and told from the Bloody Bucket. 
Nice. So you have a tavern that's going to be involved around brawling. I can get yep. by. Yep. Sound, sounds pretty epic. So is it going to be kind of generic for any game system, or...? Yep, so it'll be a mixture. Um, the uh, Tales from the Bloody Bucket are generic. Um, those are going to be written in a creative format, um, a little more story to it than what most modules might have. Um, really light on rules and stats. It'll let you put whatever you need uh, to integrate that into your campaign. Some of the other products are going to be very specific. Alex Korgzen with uh, Mischief Incorporated. We've got a module from those guys, a full-blown OSR-style module that we're going to be putting in the Crate 1. That's got some specific rules in it. All right. Um... <clears throat> Sounds pretty cool. So we've got modules. We've got actually the wormwood uh, definitely caught my attention. I've been uh, been following off and on. You've been sending out emails with with uh, teasers for it. Yep. And um, so are there? I, I didn't I didn't remember. Do you have miniatures going in there as well? Yep. So we've got a deal with uh, F and Cool Minis. John Popson and I worked up. Uh, a deal, and we're going to be using a miniature that we've actually uh, gotten an okay from, I believe it's Cobalt Press that's working with them to do a deal on a miniature. We have a Dragonborn character that's going to be in the first crate. Awesome. It looks kind of like the dude from uh, The Curse of the Azure Bonds. Do you guys remember that old module, the one with the Dragon Bait was the character's name on it? Yeah, that's going way back. I remember that one. <laughs> yeah, the the miniature looks a little bit like that dude. It's pretty cool. It's kind of a mixture between a, a Draconian and a Dragonborn from 4th edition or sort of a mixture. So we'll be putting some of the, something uh, like that in, the, in there. Awesome. So I haven't actually looked. What is the uh, price point for Dungeon Crate? Yeah, we just uh, finalized the price point, so it's $29.89 a month. And that's uh, and then it'd be a little bit extra for shipping wherever you're located. That's a pretty popular question, and um, price point for this kind of thing as a product is really important. Um, gamers are, are are very price conscious. They're very value driven. They they want to get you know a lot of adventure for the for the price, and it's a very competitive market. Um, so uh, I kind of you know pitched a balance between not too expensive but not just cheap where there's no quality um, involved because the things that are going in are, do have a cost. So right. that's kind of where we landed. And I considered averaging the, the shipping cost and, you know, including it. There, there are some crates that say free shipping. You know, you, you guys know there's nothing free in this world really, so it's just baked into their cost. But this, uh, some people that are close to me or live in the Midwest, they get a pretty good benefit from it. And people that live, uh, you know, in very far northeast corner of Maine or something, they're, they're probably used to shipping costs uh, as it is. So, Yeah, that's just kind of the nature of everything in the industry. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a hard thing to balance because uh, that's just like there's um, launching just recently as well. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it's a miniature wargaming-oriented crate uh, coming out of the U.K., and they're they're about a similar price point, but it's like, so what is the shipping to the U.S.? <laughs> and they kind of went, eh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've actually, that's interesting. I've gotten a couple of emails from people um, that want to be a distributor in the U.K., so I, I offer to ship, uh, I'll pretty much ship anywhere in the world on this crate, um, but like you say, to, it's $25 additional to ship over the pond, so... It's pretty prohibitive unless you're really super into this particular topic or maybe that particular month. Um, I'll send it to Canada for about $15, so that's uh, that's not too bad, actually. No, yeah. that's that's actually pretty good. It's not terrible. You, it's, it almost comes to the point where you want to have a partnership, of like a fulfillment warehouse, if you would, in the other countries, just so that way you have one place to ship it to and then they can dole it out from there. Yeah, I think the challenge is that the... A lot of the products that are created in the UK that are available to, to drop ship to a distributor there, they, you know, it's just pretty simple to, in concept, to create the distribution model and then sort of create a business there for themselves. Um, it's possible. There's a lot of uh, the, the industry is still kind of new. 
subscription businesses have been out for, like I was saying, for a long time, but there's only a few that are competing in the RPG space right now. Um, Paizo actually did a, or they still have a subscription model that you can subscribe to their publications, and you get basically their content at a discount, like a 30% off discount on some of the items. So individual developers, individual publishers have done uh, things like this, but it's very limited in how many they're able to pull together multiple, um, you know, multiple products like this. The big guys, they're really not messing with the independent developers either. Yeah, I mean, not for nothing. I mean, what you're doing, it takes a lot of effort, and you know that that's not in any way like you know, you know, thumbing my nose at it or anything. It's just I I know how much effort you're putting into this in order to make this a labor of love because. Uh, Reaching out to all the different vendors in order to supply the crate, I know how daunting that can be. So, you know, it's definitely hats off to you on that one. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty labor-intensive. Um, it's it's a deceptively complex thing. It's something that you can look at and go, hey, that's pretty good. I think maybe I'll try that. And, and then you start thinking, you know, if you're going to do that every month and you're going to keep doing new vendors here and there, it, yeah, it, it becomes a pretty serious uh, community. Yeah, so speaking yeah. of the new vendors every month, now, do you, when you're doing this, I, I take it there's, obviously there's planning behind it, um, but are you focusing on certain RPG games uh, throughout the different months? So, like, you might do two months where it's, you know, The Strange by Monty Cook Games, you know, for example, or, you know, uh, two months where it's something by Modifius, two months where it's, you know, D&D-esque that could be used for, any combination of games, like, do you kind of have a, a plan similar to that? Yeah, sort of. Um, so I'm going to pick themes, and when I talk with the vendors, I'm going to tell them the theme for the month. If they're able to uh, produce a product or they have a product that's not released uh, worldwide yet um, that meets that theme, then we'll talk about putting it in. And then, um, so that's the contributed content portion of it. And then there's the other portion, which is the content that I'm actually commissioning that's written specifically for RPG Crate. And that's going to have a central theme, long-term. They're going to be uh, interwoven between. I think there's going to be some pretty amazing stuff that comes out, like sort of like that show, the you know, uh, Lost, or one of the other um, TV shows where you watch it a couple of times and you go, holy cow, man, that's talking about the very first episode. And then you got to go back and watch that first episode to figure out what the heck they're talking about. Um, so I've got plans like that. So um, the first uh, month's theme is going to be dragons. It's got to be a dragon, right? RPG Crate's got a big dragon logo. So um, a lot of the things that uh, were, uh, you know, illustrated by Lloyd and Janelle and uh, Joseph are uh, dragon-related and themed appropriately. Uh, oh, wait. I can't believe I forgot to mention uh, Dyson. Dyson does maps. This dude uh, draws maps for old-school-style um, hex maps and things like that. Um, have you guys, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Dyson's Dodecahedron blog. He's got some pretty crazy good stuff. Nice. So you're I'm not. Yeah, you guys should Google the, uh, Google Dyson maps. He's pretty crazy. You have to look him. Yeah, I'll have to look him up uh, individually because uh, I used to I used to read a lot of the Dodecahedron and uh, you know Dungeon and Dragon and pretty much every RPG magazine that was out back in the day. I think I had a subscription to. And uh, you know, keep in mind I'm 34, so you know a lot of that back in the day was pretty much my weekly allowance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was the same way. That the thing that Dyson's doing is he, he's he's hand drawing maps. He's doing it with pencil and ink and and then scanning it and uh, putting it on his blog. Uh, he, he offers some of the maps for commercial use, uh, free for use. He's got a Patreon account and all that kind of stuff. But it harkens back to the old days of, you know, us sitting around, ga gamers sitting around a table as kids and drawing the, drawing the maps out. And um, You know, the digital age has created a lot of programs that make uh, digital art uh, really good, right, in a lot of ways. And it takes things uh, a different direction sometimes. Um, I think some of the, the gamers really look for that old school kind of feel to it. And the new players, I think they really respect that. They see the maps in some of the new books. Uh, 
a lot of the maps in these books that you buy today, fifth edition books and things like that, those are hand-drawn maps that are digitized and cleaned up a little bit later. Yeah, well, I think it just adds to the overall mood. I mean, if you're playing a, you know, a classic, you know, medieval fantasy dungeon crawl, very Lord of the Rings-esque or D&D-esque, like, you expect to see stuff that looks hand-drawn because of the fact that the the times, like, nobody was going to digitally remake anything. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah, to me, to me, immersion in role-playing games, and I know I've mentioned it numerous times, but uh, immersion in role-playing games um, has always been my biggest thing, even more so than, like, the system or the setting itself. Like, the more I could feel that I'm in a game, the better. And if that, that means hand-drawn maps, you know, clippings of newspapers, you know, especially, like, Call of Cthulhu, things like that. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. That all really, that, that, that to me is what makes the game. So yeah, I mean, ha- having having somebody that does unique things like that and throwing that into the crate is just you know that's that's an extra bit of TLC to really help people along. So you were you were talking about uh, having exclusive adventures and things like that for RPG crate. Um, how often would those be done? I'm gonna try to do them every month, every single crate. It won't be a full blown adventure, but it'll be um, several adventure settings. It'll be. Um, Something like, okay, do you guys remember the uh, old Greyhawk Adventures box set that's got the cards in it? They're like a one-night adventure cards? Yes. That kinda had a, it had a map, it had a story, a setting. It was one uh, like uh, postcard thickness card stock, and it was pretty much designed for an evening. Uh, um, that's the style I'm going to go for with uh, Tales from the Bloody Bucket. So every month, there's going to be at least three cards in the crate that are related to those settings, and they're going to be strung together um, in a uh, long-term story. Cool, yeah, because I, I, I was trying to think back to that box, and I myself never had it, but I had some of my buddies that did have it. And uh, I know that some of the adventures that we, that we did were based out of that, but uh, it's been such a long time that I couldn't tell you any specifics about that particular box. Yeah, so if you, uh, for instance, if you subscribe to the first crate, you get the, well, anyone actually, we have a free PDF that's the setting, Tales from the Bloody Bucket setting, and that's the map of the inn, the map of the tavern. It's got some NPCs that are going to be added to it a little bit later, and it's got a short story that leads the uh, an adventuring party to the uh, tavern. And then each crate subsequently is going to have three stories that are told for the tavern, and it would be... Uh, uh, an appropriate use for the crate would be if you, you ordered it and it come in and then each uh, month you guys would, could sit down for uh, you know three sessions, run through each of the adventures, and then next month you get three more. I like that. I, I really like that as, as an option because it, it, it allows people to do something outside of the norm. You know, because we have so many things out there now that are, you know, Pathfinder Society, uh, I forget what they call the D&D organized play, um, but there's so many things out there where it's like it's very structured. And having somebody do something independent that allows people to, you know, play the games that they want outside of this, like, structured play is definitely... It harkens back to the creativity that I feel that a lot of modern-day RPGs kind of did away with. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of the feel we're going for, the... At the end of uh, six months or three months or somewhere, uh, eight months, I don't know exactly yet, we'll have, um, we'll have a collection anthology. We'll probably put all of the adventures together in one uh, product. Maybe, I don't know, if there's an interest in getting a, a printed bound version of all of those together at one time, you know, heck, uh, it's even possible if somebody subscribes for a long enough duration Maybe I'll just add that Joker in there for free. Like after 12 months, you get a big, huge hardbound book with all of the adventures all bound together and put into it to keep, uh, you know, kind of depends on the response I get from the customers at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I know if that, if that were me on that side of it, that would definitely be something I would want. Just to kind of show it's like, look, I, I've contributed to, you know, in a way it kind of shows I've contributed to this. Yep. So, yeah, I, I could definitely see the, the value in that. So, so I, got, I got some other vendors here I can uh, go through if you're interested in a few more. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. 
Yep. So uh, Brian Rathbone's written a series of books called World of God's Land. He's a prolific Twitter um, Twitterer. <laughs> he tweets, uh, <laughs> man, dude, like, I think his total tweet count is probably 13,000 or something. He, he, uh, he it's really short, witty uh, tweets. He's a full-time writer, and he produces uh, downloadable content. And it's pretty inexpensive. But uh, we're going to put his uh, his books in there. We're going to get a download uh, code for his books for free. Wow, awesome. Yeah, and uh, Battle Bards is creating an album for us. Battle Bards is a company that uh, does uh, um, fantasy, RPG, and gaming-related uh, music, sounds, and they have a digital soundboard. Really cool. Wow. So, th- yeah, that I could definitely getting, see something like that. Getting getting your own soundtrack. That's that's pretty epic. Yeah, it's pretty wicked. Um, I, so it, it'll be would, it won't be unique. And I just want to be fair, be be uh, upfront with you guys. It's not unique music for me, but the album itself and the ability to download it is going to be included in the the first three crates. Yeah, I that I could definitely get behind that. And uh, Chessex Dice, they're on uh, they're on board. I've actually got a social media um, push, um, a post that I put on my Facebook page. If it gets shared enough, I'm gonna put. And this is exclusive. This is the first uh, first time anybody will have heard this. I'm gonna put two complete ten dice sets in the first crate, in addition to all this other stuff I've been talking about. Oh wow. Oh. And it's the four uh, six-siders and the, the other dice, right? It's a ten-dice set, so it's two of those with dice bags. Yeah, that is everything people need to get going. So they, yeah, yep. right there should be more than enough of an incentive to jump in on this. Yeah, yeah more. <laughs> well, keep, please, keep going. I mean, yeah. if you, spill the beans. Yep, I'm spilling. Um, so old-school Renaissance, OSR is a pretty common term, right? Yeah. So, uh, Bad Mike has got a books and games company, and he's uh, come across a treasure hoard of a whole bunch of really old OSR magazines, modules, and books, things like that. So I'm working to deal with him. I'm going to be including some of those in the first crate as well. Some Judges Guild, old school, it's printed in the 80s. It's a hand type cast photocopy look. It's, it's about as old school as you get as far as RPGs go. Yeah, wow. That's going back there. I was almost expecting you to start saying that you have some of the old play-by-mail stuff coming in there, too. <laughs> no, did, didn't quite go that far back. That was pretty fun stuff, though. Yeah, it, I, <laughs> for those of you out there that have never played it, there used to be this old... Well, there's a couple <laughs> of systems, so I can't say it was just one, but it was basically you had a character, and you would write out what your character was going to do, and it would get mailed to whoever, and then somebody else out there in the world was screwing with you. So it might be that they just came right out and just, like, tried to fight you like a gladiatory combat or not. And you would get a letter back basically saying, um, you've been knocked unconscious and all your stuff is stolen and you're laying naked in the middle of the street. (laughs) Yeah, what do you do? (laughs) Yeah, what do you do now? Or it's just like, hey, you're dead. Make a new character. And it's like, well, that's great. So I spent, you know, two and a half hours writing this thing, mailing it off, and two weeks later I find out I'm dead. So yeah, those were kind of the epitome of patience. Yes, yeah, so really that's what I was just thinking. <laughs> but at the same time, they, depending upon who who was running it in the company at the time, they were so much fun, even if it was just like this little weird, quirky pastime. Yeah. Nice. So I remember, uh, I remember getting into, uh, I think it was Riffs, and it was an online group playing Riffs. And you had to post daily. Like, I started trying to keep up with them, and after, like, the first week, I was just like, I'm done, I'm out. And and they did. They promptly kicked me out because I didn't post within that day. I was like, whew. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine the patience of having to wait a week or two weeks to find out what happened. <laughs> Getting kicked out, that kind of reminds me of the 
EverQuest and World of Warcraft and those games, if you get uh, hooked into those and you're in a guild and they have requirements that you play, you know, four hours a night minimum, <laughs> crap like that. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I, I played EVE Online and I ran a mining guild. We had, at one point, we had 250 people in the guild across, across the world. I had people in Australia, the UK, the US, you know, all the times. You know, and they would get mad at me for sleeping. <laughs> be like, where do you want this shit? I, I was, I had just had a newborn baby. That, that was the worst thing. I had a newborn baby. I took like a month off from work, and it went into the holidays, so I had lots of free time. So at first, you know, it's like, oh, this is a breeze. You know, I'm not thinking that, you know, getting up with the baby all. I went back to work, and I was getting emails at work with people asking me questions on what they should be doing. <laughs> yeah. I sat one time for like 30 hours in one game session straight for uh, EverQuest for one there was like 40 of us in a guild in one room, and we had to maintain guild presence in this room to keep the spot for 30-something hours yeah. for one thing to pop, uh -huh. and it was one piece to one guy for one item. <laughs> yep. I took Screw yeah. that. Yeah, so so gone are those days, right? <laughs> There's still people doing it. <laughs> those things are still... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are those few. Yeah, there are those people that still like that grind out there, but uh, you know, digital age, everybody's changed now. They don't have the patience for it anymore. Yeah, and I think the games are are getting a little shorter in session as a result too. The there was a announcement today that, or an article I was reading. I don't know if it was actually an announcement. It was more of just a blog article that. Um, a lot of the adventures that are being written now for Wizards are designed not for eight-hour, but for a four- to five-hour game session. That's kind of the the soft spot for a game session now is four hours. <laughs> I can I can remember when I started playing D&D, &D, and it was actually, there was a few of us that all started playing. Um, and and we, we started playing, and we had eight-hour game sessions, and at one point... We were going to go snowboarding, and we were going to be doing all this stuff all weekend. The night before we left, we started playing. We didn't go to bed till like, 4 o'clock in the morning to get up at 6. We go to meet the guy who's going to take us out to wherever this place was. He never shows up, so we're all standing there going, what are we going to do? D&D. &D. <laughs> so we go back to my buddy's place. We play D&D till we get kicked out of our friend's place because other people wanted to sleep. So we go over to my other friend's house where we then continue to proceed to play for the yeah. rest of the weekend. And, you know, you you remember those stories, too. It, let me ask you, you guys play... Have, I'm sure you guys have played uh, Magic the Gathering, right? Yep. We're not so going to talk about that. Do you, do you remember, <laughs> honestly, do you remember the first... Magic the Gathering game you had? Do you remember what the what it was you played and scored? Um, no. Do you remember the first D and D game that you played? Yes, yes. Very probably much remember. So. You probably remember the character. Probably remember what you were. Man, it was the it was the rats and the the adventure with the fighter and the red uh, the red book out of the box set for me. That's really, I think. <laughs> What we're trying to get here is something that that builds that that history with people, so that they can remember. Hey, I remember I got an RPG crate. It had these products in it. I remember opening it. We started playing, and maybe they stick with it for you know years. Maybe they just do it a few months. But I, I'm just kind of hoping that they remember that you know Christmas in a box. The red and green colors is very specific. I wanted to kind of uh, simulate sort of a Christmas morning thing with the box and treasure. And so there we go. Yeah, that's, I could, I could definitely awesome. appreciate that. And and hearing everything that you're you're getting put in it, and that it's coming on a regular basis. I mean, you know, it's it sounds pretty epic. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Now, have you, when it comes down to the vendors that you talk to, I know that you you've spoken a lot with a lot of the independent guys as far as like, well. 
and even more so than some of the independents, but have you um, reached out to specific vendors to cover specific RPG lines as well? So, like, you know, for example, I know we, we touched on it a little bit, but, like, Chaosium, for example, they're still pretty much, like, Call of Cthulhu. Like, have they, you know, offered anything into the crate to kind of say, hey, for a Call of Cthulhu month, do this? Yeah, um, so no, not yet. We're still pretty new. Um, we're still getting word out. I haven't, um, you know, taken on a large budget for advertising. It's sort of a grassroots movement. Um, but, yeah, eventually um, it's, it's very possible. I did uh, I had a conversation with uh, uh, with Boar on uh, Cobalt Games. talked with him, and uh, there's a really good possibility that we get um, an introductory product from Cobalt Games put in. Um, they've got some stuff that's just come out that's uh, nominated for any awards, so they're they're producing some fantastic material. the The one thing I want to be very cautious of, and I want to be careful to not just put stuff in there that you know is really easy to go down and buy at a at a bookstore or or buy from your local store. I'm hoping to not compete directly with the local game stores. I want it to be supplementary. I want it to be Something that I could call, and this is one of my plans, is to actually call stores that you know, call game stores, and say, "Hey, look at this crate. What if we have a deal where I give all of your customers a little bit of a discount? Maybe they buy the crate from you. Maybe there's a little bit of uh, incentive to you that we can work out. And I want it to supplement what they're doing. I don't want, um, honestly, I'm probably not going to put, you know, a, a Wizards of the Coast hardback in there." It's something that's very easy to get. Um, you know, they, they print a million of those things. So uh, I want to focus on the middle ground and the independent publisher. Right, which makes sense. I mean, you, you definitely want to shoot for something more custom because the moment you just start throwing stuff in there people can pick up anywhere, then they start looking at it as, why am I getting this? Yeah. Now, if, if we work with deal with some of these companies that, you know, exclusive content or something that's premier or something that's just introductory... That's a possibility. I wouldn't mind doing that at all. Um, maybe something that's released, uh, you know, maybe a, a month early or something, and if you're a member of RPG Crate, then you, you get, hey, I got that book a month before you. That's sort of bragging rights a little bit. It's not something I would do often, though. It's, it, it would get a little bit old, I think. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, because you, you don't want to turn RPG Crate into a, a pre-order system. Yep. That's a good way to put it. Right. Huh? Right, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to see something like that. But I will say that um, that I had Loot Crate for a while, and now they're coming out with even more themed stuff. You know, in specific games. You know, it's not the game, but it has a lot of stuff to do with it. And every month I get, you know, hey, don't you want to resubscribe? And I'm like, yes, I want that. No. <laughs> I don't yep. want to pay you anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's a so. good point. Um, they're doing really good to create complementary product. That's kind of where I'm headed with this, too. Um, if we were to deal with one of the other big publishers and we created a complementary product or um, through a licensing deal, that, that's something that would be possible. That's that's more of a, an exclusive item, and I, I think the subscribers would, would appreciate that. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I think it would, uh, it would really engage... You know, some of the people, you know, just, hey, this is coming out, and here's this crate just themed, just basically to go with it, you know, and here's all the awesomeness you could possibly get. Yeah, good idea. Cool. So we've, we've talked pretty much about everything that RPG Crate is. We've touched on the stuff that you want to include and you know we talked a little bit about what you kind of want to do in the future so let's talk a little bit about the actual games themselves what are you currently playing as far as rpgs go um so i'm playing uh fifth edition and uh second edition D. &D. oh wow you're going old school yeah and uh I, i'm actually uh doing some uh, board games um, some things like that, but mostly um, my, my personal interest is in the you know tabletop RPG. Sure, yeah, 
Yeah, that's unfortunately something that uh, I haven't had a chance to touch into too much yet, and a lot of it just comes down to the fact that I just moved. So, you know, finding time for RPGs at the moment is uh, it's a little tough, but uh, I'm working on it. And uh, I know that uh, Nick is pretty much shut himself off from the rest of the world if it's not uh, dealing with miniatures. And <laughs> <laughs> I got so of, many to paint. So what kind of miniatures are you into? Um, so I go with uh, 28 to 32 millimeter. I mean, I, I do a lot of uh, skirmish gaming. Um, <laughs> but I have... <laughs> right? Um, Tim keeps trying to drag me into Kings of War so that I uh, have to build a big army. Yeah. I won't talk about the hundred horses that are sitting right behind me that are half painted. <laughs> yeah, I do the, back in the day I did a uh, Warhammer tabletop uh, uh, undead army. That was a very popular army in my area. It was very inexpensive to, to create a bunch of undead. And you, back then you, you, <laughs> couldn't, you couldn't field it in a game if it wasn't painted. They wouldn't let you put uh, unpainted miniatures on the table. So skeletons were mm. very, very simple to paint. Yeah, normally uh, I... And so, Oh yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Nick. Ah, I was gonna say, you know, I I run the gamut from Frostgrave to, um, which you know it's kind of uh, Mordheim, uh, Love Child, um, Relic Blade. So a lot of fantasy. I have some modern stuff in front of me right now. It's uh, Wild in the Streets, you know, and I just love good minis. Uh, I'll, I'll admit, I just backed. Uh, um, war, uh, miniature wargaming the movie uh, their second Kickstarter uh, mostly because they said that they're coming out with a uh, one of their tiers has an Orson Welles mini there's only going to be 300 of them that they ever cast and make and that's it and it's being done by Alan Perry nice so it's like uh, um, y- you got me there I mean, and it also comes with several other miniatures Done really well by other people, but who who can pass up you know an Orson Welles mini? Yeah, well, if you like miniatures. Yeah, I've been uh, trying to drag him into some of the bigger games, but uh, yeah, I mean, even though I know lately a lot of the stuff I've been posting on Skirmish Supremacy has been pretty much Kings of War, Kings of War, Kings of War. That's because of the fact I decided to jump into a mass battle game, not have anything painted, and then within a month and a half time frame go to a tournament where everything's required to be painted. <laughs> So, needless to say, yes, my focus right now has been Kings of War. However, I do play other games out there. I'm a big fan of the old uh, Mutant Chronicles. Uh, so, you know, hearkening back to the old RPG days, Mutant Chronicles was my jam back in the day when it came time to, uh, like, that gritty sci-fi feel. Um, yeah, that's a pretty good one. Space Hulk was one that I enjoyed a lot of time on. Yes, uh you know, anything, to me, I, I like my stuff a little bit darker. You know, for me, even going back into fantasy, Michael Moorcock was, like, my writer of choice when it came time to fantasy. You know, obviously everybody likes Robert Howard because Conan's a fat ass, but at the end of the, like, at the end of the day, when it came time to, like, more of that high fantasy, it was definitely, well, Elric really was, like, my personal, you know, I guess, if you not really hero, that, that is the worst term to use for him. My character of choice. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I had an opportunity to to do a Rogue Trader game not too long ago. We created uh, characters, you know, for Warhammer 40K Rogue Trader, and that was that started out to be pretty fun. Uh, schedules didn't really work out. We we haven't played, but that's a fantasy setting that's uh, that seems pretty wicked. I haven't had a chance to roleplay in it yet, but it, it seems interesting. Yeah, 40K. It's all about. Uh... It's pretty much all about, hey, at any point, any of us could be possessed by demons. So if we just make the masses dumb, and they don't realize that we're making them dumb, the less they think, the less of a chance they have to be possessed by demons. So it's very dystopian in its thought process. Yeah, so the the void and all that, that Warhammer 40k in general I've I've played in, the Rogue Trader was the one we hadn't really really gone into yet. That seems sort of, I don't know, it seems sort of... uh, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker kind of thing going on. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little bit more high fantasy than, like, Dark Heresy, which is the other 40K universe RPG where we're working for the Inquisition. Yeah, yeah. So the rogue traders are allowed to kind of go out and be like, oh, yeah, we'll trade with Eldar, just don't tell anybody. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
so you know they 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 give it a little bit more of a, a freedom for more of if you like a little bit more of a variation in your in your yeah. sci-fi fantasy. That, that so we that. we kind of I don't know we kind of when we were sitting and talking about it we sort of likened it to the difference between like a military versus sort of uh, free range pirates, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's about the best way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, past that, uh, that that's been the focus of mine lately is pretty much just anything Kings of War related as, as far as gaming goes, unfortunately. Now, after this weekend, I plan on taking a break. Um, as far as, as like having to do anything with mass battle, um, I want to go back to my skirmish gaming. I, I've got so much like smaller army stuff that I just want to. I, I just want to paint. You know, and it'd be nice knowing that I could paint one guy and know that there's not twenty more of him behind <laughs> it. That that, that is good, what I've been enjoying. That's a good point. So, how much of mass production does it take away from from the hobby? That's a really good point, especially whenever a game is so dependent on player, you know, player engagement with the miniatures themselves. It, if it's a laborer, and it, you know, it could take away from it some that skirmish or size of unit, you know, four to six pieces. That's probably a happy medium. Maybe it is isn't the best thing for sales numbers, but it's certainly, uh, I think, better for long term engagement with your community. I think. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that, uh, you know, Nick and I have both talked about, uh, you know, in detail numerous times, you know, both on air and off air, is the fact that a lot of the skirmish games out there now, they very much have like a an RPG hybrid feel where it's like it's still a miniatures game. You still need the terrain. You still need the minis. Um, you know, the rules are very much focused on the combat, you know, but at the same time, there's a lot of RPG elements to it. So it's not just... I've got my warband, you've got your warband, let's run to the middle and smash each other's skulls in until one of us is the last man standing. Um, you know, there's a lot of objective-based stuff to it, where it's like, okay, maybe, you know, if it's something more post-APOC, we're fighting in an abandoned factory, and we're, we're going to get the last piece of, a, com- of a, a, com- a computer hard drive that has, you know, schematics for some sort of gun, you know, and during that game, we each have our own secondary objectives and things like that, so... There's a lot of games out there that are adding those RPG elements back into it, especially if they're skirmish level, that are, you know, they're, they're really tying together the RPG and the miniatures world very much like it was in the past, where it's like, you know, because I, I even remember going back in the days and, you know, for me, early 90s, uh, you know, early 2000s, like, people, when they played Dungeons & Dragons, they came to the table with, like, their own miniatures painted up, and, you know, it wasn't so much grid maps as much as people made like real terrain for the table for you know especially for like the boss fights and things like that so that to me it, you know it it, it harkens that that to me harkens back to old school where i think over the course of the last 15 years we've seen a lot more of pre-painted miniatures and hex maps and it's been kind of left at that hmm. So, you know, to me, I, I like seeing that in the skirmish games. Is I, I like seeing that, that hybrid feel being brought back into it. But, you know, that's me on a personal level. No, I think, you're, ta- I think you're speaking to a lot of people when you say that. That it, There's a lot of crossover for gaming in general, too. That I think um, Wizards is doing a thing where, you know, Magic the Gathering is now a setting for 5th edition. You know, yeah, I just saw something about that. I don't know too much about it, though, to be honest with you. Yeah, they started writing it. Some one of the internal uh, internal writers produced um, a PDF that you know you you can download that presents the setting um, and it's some rules for it, and it's taken off. It's gotten very popular. Plane Shift uh, Zendikar is a digital setting that you can download. It's you know for fifth edition, and they that's a pretty common topic now. How, how much of a crossover is possible? You, a lot of people, I think, that role-play RPGs in general, I think they play other games, but not as much. But then I think when you take a person that's hardcore Magic the Gathering, I think they, a lot of them role-play some, but not as much. And that that kind of crossover is more of a casual crossover. I, I, I think you might be hard-pressed to find a lot of people that do 50-50, right? That, hey, I, I play Magic every Friday, and then I play D&D every Saturday. 
maybe there's you know some that do, but I, I think people gravitate towards one or the other. But that product that sort of crosses over and, and gets a little bit of extra you know consumer input from that that that's a good uh, a good move. Yeah, yeah I could definitely. definitely. Yeah, and then I, at the same time they killed off Ravenloft and Dark Sun, so I'm not too happy with uh, Wizards of the Coast at the moment. But uh, you know, hey. <laughs> Well, the, the the curse of Strahd came back, so Ravenloft's uh, golden. It, it, I I really hope they bring back the full setting and not just Barovia. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> they they've got uh they've got their pulse on. I'll tell you one thing though they they kind of had their pulse on the their customers now. They they did such. I think they really learned a lesson with fourth edition. They did extensive amounts of playtesting and they did a lot of discussion with their people. So. With the the actual consumer population, so they seem to be headed in the right direction, which is good. I mean, I think that was something that you know, and this is this is a, a personal opinion of mine coming from like second edition, third edition, fourth edition. I have yet to play fifth edition, so I can't comment on that as much. But from what I've been told, is fifth edition kind of harkens back to a little bit of like, I guess you want to call it two point five, where it was like not quite as complex as third edition but had a lot more to it than what 2nd Edition had, because 2nd Edition kind of had, like, the bare bones. Like, this is... Your character is a fighter. From there, you take it from there. You know, from there, you, you yeah. say what's going on. Yeah, I'll tell you, there's a good analogy. It, I don't know if I came up with it. I probably heard it somewhere else, but, you know, 2nd Edition is like a sandwich, and 4th Edition was like, you know, it, the sandwich had gone stale, but you kept getting it. And then... Uh, you know, some of the other editions were more like buffets. 3.5 was like a buffet that you were just hand, you know, for, you, you felt bad if you didn't have all the books, right? If you, if you didn't try everything that was on the buffet, you just felt like you didn't get your money's worth. How could you play 3.5 and not have a 14 backpacks full of books? But but 5th edition is more of, you know, it's more of like the, the un, it's more like an onion, it's just got layers. It, you, you can, you know, enjoy a piece of it at a time if you want. You don't have to get real complicated if you don't want to. It's it's customizable in that way. Yeah, which is definitely a good thing. I think that that was one of the biggest problems that I saw when Fourth Edition came out. Is that every time I played it, I felt more and more like I like I was playing a board game. You know, and uh, you know, again, that's my own personal opinion of it. But the fact that they you know, even going back into, like, second and third edition, it's like a fireball. Everybody knew that, like, had a 30-foot radius when it exploded. And then you get into fourth edition, it's like, oh, it, ex it you know, it expands, you know, from its point of impact, like, four squares in each direction. Well, what the hell is a square? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was some lessons learned there, for sure. So, you know, that that was just kind of my personal feelings of fourth edition. I was like, why, why are we doing this? Like, why am I pushing things two squares? Yeah, so I never actually played 4th Edition. My brother was playing it some. And, you know, every time I looked at it, and, you know, I did see it also commented online, it just it felt like it had that kind of um, World of Warcraft effect. You know, things were a lot easier than they were in EverQuest. If you pay you know, attention, yeah, if you look at the artwork and some of the contributors for that, uh, for that edition, it, it, it was that way by design. Yeah, and it, and I think that's what hurt it with you know people who'd played 3.5 first edition. And you know any other edition was all of a sudden instead of instead of having this great big world where you could do all these things, you kind of had this. I pushed this button and wow, I I did something. It sure has some pretty artwork though. I, I honestly I enjoyed the the artwork. That's well, yeah, in the Oh, oh yeah, back Dark Sun. So, oh yeah, that's something. I don't know. Has Wizards ever not had good artwork? That's a good question. I, I can't really recall. You know, not not just a one-off. Not had good artwork, but you know, ever had anything come out that everyone was just like, oh yeah, no, that's that's just crap artwork. Uh, first edition monster manual. They had some pretty derp looking creatures in there. <laughs> that stuff wow. really stuck around too, man. Modrons, <laughs> love them. <laughs> yeah, some of that stuff is pretty crazy. I guess, I guess that's true. Speaking of which, so the funny part is a buddy of mine last year 
handed me a first edition D&D book, and he's like, make a character. So I set it on my desk where I did all my modeling, because, and I kind of looked through it and kind of started making a character. But then my light was sitting right in front of it, and I would set my models on top of the book, and I'd take a picture, and it was funny because I would post it up to be like, hey, you know, people, you know, critique this model that I just painted. And they'd be like, is that a first edition D&D book? And it, I, I almost never got feedback on my model. We just talked about first edition D&D. That's what you get. I, I know, right? <laughs> Screw with a classic. <laughs> but it did make a great background, I have to say. It's probably the best backdrop I've ever had. Well, yeah, there you go. You got that going for you. So we got to start wrapping this up here pretty soon. I could sit here and talk about RPGs all night and, you know, spend the night just gabbering on and on and on and on about everything I've ever played, but, you know, I need to spend some time with my wife. So (laughs) (laughs) tell us a little bit about RPG Crate. Where can we find you? All your social media sites. Go ahead and unload. Oh, this is super easy, man. I I think maybe I got lucky. Uh, Just put RPG Crate on whatever you want to do. Facebook, Twitter, um, it's all .com. It's all just slash RPG Crate. At RPG Crate, hashtag RPG Crate, whatever. <laughs> How did you get off so easy? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I just got lucky. Uh, I, I really don't know. I, I was ama- Honestly, guys, I was amazed when I started researching uh, for the name and, and to, to register it. It, just, it was all there, so I just ganked it all one evening and, um, you know, went with it. All right, That's so awesome. Twitter, Facebook, dot com, everything is just RPG Crate. It's a very easy way to find you. Yep. Awesome. Well, Chris, I definitely want to thank you for coming on tonight and uh, talking about this. And uh, once you get up and you get launched a little bit more, we get, we get a couple of crates out the door. We definitely need to have you come back on and talk about it a little bit more. Yeah, that sounds good. I really appreciate you guys uh, reaching out and having me here talk to you. And uh, I wish you guys luck. Uh, I'll listen in uh, on you and see what you guys have coming up in the future as well. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Nick, well, is there anything else you want to throw in there before we head out? Uh, Just one thing that I was thinking of. So this week or this past weekend I woke up, had some awesome feedback from someone who had just found the podcast on, uh, and uh, they, they messaged us via Twitter which I don't let Tim have access to, so um, you guys can actually send, you know, real information there. You won't have to worry about him trolling you. Or just insult um, the hell out of me. <laughs> there you go. Tell us your real feelings. But, no, it, it was kind of awesome, but I was I was thinking about it, and, uh, you know, one of the things that I would, you know, like to ask people is, you know, I love see- hearing the feedback. I would love to see the feedback on iTunes, podcast, you know, um, anywhere that you listen to it, if you can just give it a thumbs up, give it a share, give it a review, you know, even negative review. Well, actually, I'd prefer you just to send me the negative review. Don't don't put that on there. Yeah. Yeah, let's not do the I'll negative play review kidding there. <laughs> but no, you know, just any kind of review you have, go ahead, put it out there just to help boost us up so that other people can find us and enjoy, that'd be awesome. Yes, and the more that you share, the less I let Nick talk. Well, great. Now you just ruined your chances of getting any shares. <laughs> All right, on that note, this has been another episode of Script of Supremacy. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good night. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to another episode of Skirmish Supremacy. To see more of the antics that Nick and I do, You can check us out on Facebook at Skirmish Supremacy. We also have Twitter, which we can be reached at Skirmish Supreme, because apparently Skirmish Supremacy does not fit in Twitter. And if you want to email us directly, you can reach us at Tim at SkirmishSupremacy.com or Nick at SkirmishSupremacy.com. Thanks for listening.